morning. Man, praise the Lord for our team. Thank God for our team. Can we just love our team so much? So grateful for our team, for Daryl and Kim and all the ones that help and the ones in the back that turn things down when it's too loud. It's awesome. You guys are awesome. Good morning. Man, we're so glad to see you this morning. My name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors here at South City. And it is our joy that you are with us today. This is a special day for us. Uh, I hope you will, every one of you, stay and be a part of our Thanksgiving lunch because it it's a family lunch and we enjoy being family together and spending time and laughing and, and uh, the food's pretty good too, by the way. So uh, that's a good thing to stay for as well. Hey, I want to say a big thank you publicly, uh, officially to Paul Stevens for filling in for me a couple of weeks ago. Thank you, brother. We love you. So glad that he was able to do that and he's just so transparent. I love the way he teaches and and uh, he's such a dear, dear friend to me. So, Paul, thank you for that. And, of course, last week we had Donnie Parrish here, and he talked about the ministry and mission of LifeWord. And uh, we were able to raise o- over $1,500 for LifeWord, so thank you for giving towards that. That's awesome. Praise God. I know that God will use that in tremendous ways uh, to reach lost people and people who uh, need to know the Lord more through their ministry around the world, through 64 different languages. So uh, that's a privilege for us to be a part of that. Well, this morning we're back in our series, uh, Faith and Freedom. It's a series in the book of Galatians. You know, uh, the Apostle Paul went on a mission trip, the first mission trip, and he traveled around to what's modern-day Turkey, a place called Galatia and these different cities. And as he was there, he was making disciples. He was telling people about Jesus, and he was helping people come together in these missional uh, communities, helping them understand what does it mean to know Jesus and to live in Jesus. And so in these little small communities, they become churches. And so Paul establishes these churches all around Galatia, and he gets back and he realizes that there's some people who've come from Jerusalem into these churches, and they're stirring things up, and it's a scandal. And they're making a mess of all the work that he had done in Galatia. Paul was preaching Jesus, right? That that when we accept Jesus, this is the gospel of Jesus, when we accept him, we accept the fact that Jesus has done all the work that needed to be done. He's enough, right? But these teachers are coming in and they're saying, no, Jesus isn't enough. Don't just trust the gospel. You need to actually do something in addition to the gospel. You need to be circumcised. You need to follow these rules. In fact, you need to just be Jewish. Paul's going, no, that's not the gospel. The gospel is actually simpler than that. It's easier than that. It's we just bring our faith. We just believe no matter who we've been or what we've done, we believe we have faith and Jesus changes us. And it's that same grace that saves us that continues to change us in sanctification as we learn about him and grow in him. And that's what Paul is speaking to this group of people uh, in this area called uh, Galatia. See, they're working on it right now, and we love them for it, right? So Paul's saying, no, that is not what it means to follow Christ. Uh, To follow Christ is to believe, and he does a work in us. You know, Paul was not, um, he didn't pull any punches, I should say, on the Judaizers. Uh, the Judaizers, uh, you know, these people from Jerusalem making all these demands. But Paul said, listen, if you're going to be under the law, he, he makes some pretty strong statements. He says, if you're going to be under the law, number one, you're cursed, right? You're going to be cursed. You can't live up to this law. And if you try, it's going to be a, a cursing in your life, not a blessing. It's going to be like you're in prison if you try to live under the law. 
In fact, he says, if you try to live under the law, it's going to be like there's a, a disciplinarian walking around smacking you. I don't know if you grew up that way, but that wouldn't be a good way to grow up, right? Every time you made a mistake, whack! on the hand or the leg, or well, that'd be a bad thing. And Paul's saying, that's what it means to live under the law. You always get whacked by this cruel disciplinarian that is the law. In fact, it's so bad, it's like being a slave, he says. It's like living in slavery. It's a bad situation. So Paul is, is trying to tell these folks that he loves very much. You don't wanna live under this law. You don't wanna live in this way. You wanna live in freedom, right? And so he's telling these people, he loves them very much. He, he has been with them. Uh, Paul Stevens said a couple of weeks ago in this text in chapter four, he made a, a reference to the fact that when Paul first came to Galatia, a lot of theologians believe that he had contracted some form of malaria and it affected his eyesight. And so when he's there, he's having trouble with his eyes and he makes a reference to it in chapter four. He says, you guys loved me so well. I mean, you took me in as if I was Jesus himself, he said. And you loved me so well, I got the feeling that you would even take out your own eyes and give them to me. That's love, isn't it? And when you spend a lot of time with people, when you talk over people's stories together, when you encourage one another to live for Jesus, there's something beautiful that happens. You get bonded together as family, don't you? And a lot of you are going like this because it's happening in our church, praise God. And that's exactly what happened between Paul and these churches in Galatia. So his heart is connected to these people. He loves them very much. He wants them to know the truth. He wants them to know the true Jesus, not something from a false teacher. And so he's trying to let them know. You know, first of all, he says, uh, you, you foolish Galatians. Listen, have you ever said that to somebody, family member? Hey, why are you being an idiot? You know, that's basically what Paul's saying. You can say it to your brother, your sister. That's the way Paul feels about these Galatians. Why are you guys doing this? Don't be a moron, right? That's what he's saying. But he also uses language like uh, brothers, friends. In verse 19 in chapter 4, he says, my dear children, Paul loves these people. And of course, when you love somebody, you want the best for them. You want them to know and live out of the truth. Well, back in chapter 3, we talked about the, this brilliant move that, that Paul has in the Galatians in this argument uh, against the Judaizers. Brilliant move. He brings in the father of the Jews, right? These guys are saying, you need to be Jewish. We're from Jerusalem, where the real apostles uh, come from. And so if you get saved, you gotta follow these rules, be circumcised and be Jewish. Well, Paul's going, no, that's not the case. But by the way, did you know that the father of the Jews, Abraham, you remember that guy, right? Of course, the Judaizers, their ears perk up every time you say Abraham. He says, well, now let's talk about Abraham's faith. Did he earn salvation? Did he work for it? Was he so good that he, that he earned that he did something for it? No. The story is that Abraham believed God. Abraham wasn't a good man. He made a lot of mistakes. We're going to talk about some of them today. But he believed God. And it says when he believed God, God credited to Abraham righteousness. And Paul's saying, if he did that for the father of the Jews, he can do it for you. And through Galatians and God's word, he's saying it to us this morning, right? That we're not good enough to... to to earn God's salvation. It's by his grace that we know him and believe in him. And when we believe, he credits Jesus' righteousness to us. The gospel is not about what we can do. The gospel is about what Jesus has done, right? That's the good news, and that is the story that uh, has been taught to the Galatians here through this book. You know, this is a, like Daryl was saying, it's a pretty interesting week this week for many of you coming up here because Thanksgiving is coming. It means you're going to spend a lot of time with 
family. That could be wonderful and it could be not so wonderful. You know, maybe we may be split down the middle as, as to where you would feel on that. Sometimes family is wonderful, sometimes they're not so wonderful. Well, can I just let you know that your family's not that bad? Trust me, it's not that messed up, I promise you. It's funny, this morning we were in the kitchen and I was getting my mac and cheese out, and you, trust me, you're gonna wanna try some of that. And you're not all gonna get it, and I'm sorry for that. But uh, anyway, I was pulling my mac and cheese out of the oven, and I was talking to the girls, I said, girls, this morning I'm talking about a jacked up family. I mean, they are messed up. And Jovi goes, you're talking about our family? I'm like, no, I'm not talking about our family. I mean, our family's not perfect, but come on. I mean, it's, listen, our families aren't that bad, but Abraham's family jacked up. In fact, his family's still jacked up. In this very moment, his family is fighting. 4,000 years later, right? And that's what we're going to talk about today, family. Galatians 4, verse 21. We're going to go all the way through 31 in our text, but I want to stop for this first reading at verse 23. So if you'd join me, let's, let's read this uh, together. Galatians 4.21 says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? You, you desire to be under it, but do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slaves was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Pray with me this morning as we get into our message. Lord Jesus, you're so kind and good and loving. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. God, can I just, I just confess to you this morning that I don't know that any of us understand the depth and the richness and the beauty of your grace. But Lord, through books like Galatians and teachers like Paul and the power of your Holy Spirit taking it to the places in our soul and in our lives where we can apply it, Help us to understand that you are a God of grace, that you love us. And God, I pray that you would help us this morning to understand this message of your word. Spirit, teach us, lead us to all truth. God, I pray that I would decrease and you would increase in this place. And Lord, that you would just be glorified in everything that is said. And we give you this time to learn of you and your word in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. That's our prayer. That's our prayer. I don't know about you, but this very first sentence jumps out at me, right? He says, tell me, you who, are, uh, who desire to be under the law. First, that's the first thing that hits me. I'm like, there's actually people who desire to be under law? Evidently, right? Some of the Judaizers, maybe some of the Galatians that were really wanting to influence or be influenced by the Judaizers. And the reality is, there's still people who want to be under the law. There's still a lot of people who just really enjoy knowing what's expected, right? If I, if I can just have the, 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 the list and I'll live up to it and then you'll be proud of me. Sadly, that's kind of what we do sometimes with the truth of God's word. We say, hey, I, I want to be saved. I want to know him. So what do I got to do, right? What's the first thing I got to do? And so many young believers, even right after salvation, man, I'm going to start reading my Bible. I'm going to start serving. I'm gonna start. Those are not bad things. But we don't do those things out of obligation. We do them out of love, out of grace that has saved us. Some people still actually want to live under law. You know, uh, this phrase is used a lot American, uh, in America, that we are uh, rugged individualists, right? I mean, we pioneered this place. We did it. I work hard for my job. I work hard for my paycheck. I earned those degrees. 
right? We're entitled to the things we have and the things we, we, we've grown and, and we've done. And we have this pride in us. But the problem is we take that rugged individualism into the church and into our faith. And we go, ah, now what do I got to do to be a part of this church, to be who God wants me to be? Listen, we got to step away from that and get a whole different mindset. We got to be born again. And understand it's, it's not what we do, it's what Jesus has done, right? Not just for our salvation, but also for our sanctification. And it's from that place. This is the thing that, that we've been saying for weeks. It's from that place that we serve, right? It's from that place of grace that we serve. We don't have to serve the Lord. We get to serve the Lord. We don't have, this morning we did the offering just a minute ago. I was thinking about it as I, I, I give on my phone. During the offering time, I pull out the little app that we have and bam, 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 it's done. And I was just thinking, you know, I don't have to do this. I get to do this. See, this is what happens when you're a people of grace, you understand what God has done in your heart. You understand that God has rescued you from a literal place called hell. Not just eternally, but in this life that we live. He has given you life. And when you truly grasp that, when you truly understand that, you go, you've changed me, you've given me everything, God. I won't be embarrassed to raise my hands and worship you. I, I, I won't be a, a, afraid to give you what you've already given me. You've given me everything. What's it mean to give a little bit back to you, Lord? I won't be afraid to sign up to serve, even though I'm not maybe perfect or trained or whatever. No, I'll serve because you've served me. It's out of that grace that we have this unbelievable privilege to love and serve God. Love will always be a greater motivator than law. It will always be a greater motivator than law. People won't die for law, but they'll die for love. They'll die for love. Paul's gonna use three different aspects this morning on your card, I've given you three different uh, things to write down, three simple notes. He's gonna use three different kind of aspects and techniques as he makes another argument here about Abraham and his family uh, to the Galatians. He's gonna talk about their history. He's gonna use a story from their history. And then he's gonna talk to them about their present reality, okay? Those are the three things that I wanna give you this morning. Number one, he's gonna talk to them about their history, kind of a historical perspective. Uh, he says, you wanna live under the law, but you don't even listen to it. Those of us that know about the Bible, we know that the, the first five books of the Bible are considered the books of the law, right? These are the very books that the Judaizers are saying, you need to live by these things. What's in these books? You need to live by these books. Paul's saying, oh yeah, is that right? You, you want us to live by these books of the law, and yet you, it's like you don't even read the story in there. And he brings them back to the history of the Jewish people. Look at verse 22. It says, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, Paul's referencing this story of Abraham, Hagar, Sarah, Ishmael, Isaac from Genesis 15, 16, 17. Write that down, Genesis 15, 16, 17, and, and chapter 21. It'd be great for you to look at that later on and, and really read this story in the Old Testament and get a sense of God's grace even there, right? Genesis 15, 16, 17, and 21. Now, what's interesting is uh, in 15, God's going to come to Abraham and he's going to make him a promise, right? See, Abraham didn't have any children. Abraham and Sarah had no children. 
Abraham's worried that he's going to have to leave everything to his servant's son, which is what was, would happen culturally back then. But God comes to Abraham and says, no, 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 you're going to have a son. You're going to have an heir. This is a promise, right? Well, then a little bit later, and I, I know this has never happened to you, definitely not me, surely, but Abraham and Sarah decide God's not fast enough with that promise. Have you ever, have you ever done that? Uh-huh, yes, you have. God gives you a message. He encourages you with something. He tells you something's going to take place. And you're like, thank you, Lord. Tomorrow's good for me. I'm open. Tonight could even work, Lord. Lay it on me, right? We are not a patient people. And guess what? Neither was Abraham. Neither was Sarah. And they come up with this crazy plan to take matters into their own hands. I don't know if you've seen this uh, (laughs) Uh, this video of this little boy getting baptized. Pastor's behind him, he's holding his shoulders. And the, you tell the kid's kind of antsy, he's like moving around and jumping around. And pastor's just giving this beautiful, eloquent message about being buried with Christ. You know, he's gonna, and being raised, risen to new life. I mean, it's this beautiful little message. And this boy's just like, come on with it, you know? And finally, the little boy just jumps up and <laughs> splashes down in the baptistry. And the pastor's like, well, I guess we're done here, I, you know. It's hilarious, but that's what we do. We say, God, uh, come on with it. Uh, have, I mean, haven't we waited enough? Well, let's, let's do our thing. I, we've, I've got a plan, God. Maybe that's what you're waiting on is for me to come up with a pretty good plan. I've got a pretty good one. So how about we do this and we circumvent what you want to do? And that's exactly what Abraham and Sarah do. That's what they come up with. So even though God's made them a promise, Sarah says, hey, why don't you take my servant and just go sleep with my servant and you'll, maybe you can have a child through her. Now, what's interesting is culturally, that wasn't a big deal. That was accepted culturally, but it was never okay with God. Genesis 2 makes it very clear that God's marriage is a man and a woman, one man, one woman. So adultery is never okay with God. Polygamy is never okay with God right? None of those things are acceptable. Sarah and and Abraham step into a plan of sinfulness, and they walk away from God's plan into their own plan. They take matters into their own hands. And every time that we circumvent God's plan, when he's told us something, when he's given us some directive, even in his word, he's given us directives for how to live. And when we go, no, God, my plan's better. I'll, I'll go with this. Trust me, you're making a mess, a huge mess and a huge mistake. He wants us to live by his word and his plan. And what they're doing here is sinful, it's wrong. And every time we try it, it's a big mess. So Abraham and Hagar sleep together, it's sinful. Uh, And then they do what two people do when they come together, that's a physical relationship. And out of that physical relationship comes this child, Ishmael. And so Paul says, this is a child of, of, of physical nature, right? This is a child of, he calls it the flesh. In other words, Abraham took, took matters into his own hands, and Sarah, they took matters into their own hands. He, he's out of uh, the physical efforts of Abraham and, and Hagar. But Isaac, however, who comes 14 years later, is a child of the promise. He's a child of waiting. He's a child of, of realizing that this is a miracle, right? Abraham, 100 years old. Sarah, 90 years old. Their bodies don't work that way anymore, right? They, you don't have 90-year-old women giving birth 
This is a supernatural act of God. And that's exactly the way he meant for it to be. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And so in this waiting and in this process, we even begin to see the sanctification of Abraham in his life. This is the promise given to Abraham. Tim Keller loved his writing. He says, by sleeping with Hagar, Abraham was choosing to rely on his own capabilities. He was opting to work and gain his son. He was acting in faith, but the faith he had was in himself. He was his own savior, right? I got this. I can do it. And so what's happening here is Paul's reminding the Judaizers, listen, that's not what salvation is about, right? Abraham had two sons. There's a right way to be related to Abraham, and there's a wrong way to be related to Abraham. And guys, you've chosen the wrong way. You're the ones enslaved. You're the ones who are being cursed. You've picked the wrong way. So he shares with them the history of of the people of, of Israel. Abraham is father of these two boys and the story of his family. And now he's going to begin to share it from a little bit more story perspective. Look with me. Verse 24, I love story. We know that Jesus, majority of the time in his ministry, told stories, parables. And Paul's going to kind of use some of this uh, story technique to try and make a point and try and teach a little deeper. Verse 24 says, now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. But the, but the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. Now, you know that an allegory or an allegorical story is one that somebody tells a story, but it's really not about that, that story on the surface. They want you to learn something beneath. There's a hidden truth. There's something that they're trying to be pretty obvious about. And so Paul is sharing this allegory, but he's wanting to make a, a message down here. He's telling the story for a purpose. He, he wants to help them understand that the history of the nation, right, through the old covenant is not the way we're saved. It's not by earning things. It's not by following rules. Instead, we're saved through Jesus' blood and the new covenant, right? And the blessing and freedom that comes in the new covenant. I put together this little chart because it just seems to help me make sense of uh, these two stories, these two storylines of Hagar on one side and Sarah on the other. Guys, can you show us that? So Hagar represents the old covenant, right? She represents uh, what, what has been given already. In fact, it says that she's a representative of Mount Sinai. Now, what happened at Mount Sinai, remember? God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, the law. So Hagar is representative of the law, the Ten Commandments, the Old Covenant. That, Paul has told us, when we try to live under that, it's slavery. Right? And, and it says that she was from uh, Mount Sinai in Arabia, which, you know, a lot of theologians believe that... Um, Ishmael is the father of the Arabs, which also means if he's the father of the Arabs, that's where where, uh, Islam has come through. Muslims have come through. If you know much about Islam, you know that it is a very law-keeping, law-abiding, right or wrong, performance-driven religion. If you don't do certain things, you're out. You have to earn salvation, right? This is what he's trying to say about uh, Hagar. All these things, Old Covenant, Mount Sinai, slavery, uh, father of the Arabs. And then he uses this phrase, earthly Jerusalem. 
You're representative, or she's representative of earthly Jerusalem. Well, where did the Judaizers come from? Jerusalem. The Judaizers come from Jerusalem, and the people in Jerusalem as a whole were law-keeping Jews, right? Earthly Jerusalem is, are, is full of people who don't know Jesus. They are keeping the law. They are under slavery, and that is what Hagar is representative of. But Sarah, she's the new covenant. She represents Jesus. The Bible says that through Jesus' blood, we have a new covenant with God. She represents his grace, his freedom. The fact that whether you're a Muslim uh, or, or a Jew or a Gentile or whatever the place that you come from, it doesn't matter. Anyone can be uh, a, a Christian, can come to Christ. See, the thing about the Judaizers, they were saying, when you, when you come to Christ, you need to now become a Jew. You need to, to look like a Jew. Paul's going, no, no, no. You can retain your cultural heritage and change your heart, right? It, it, but to become a Christian doesn't mean that you stop being uh, Chinese or you stop being African or you stop being uh, American in that regard. No, God changes our hearts. It does change our lives. But anyone can be in Christ. And then he says, verse 26, but the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. So heaven in a lot of places in scripture is referred to as a new Jerusalem, right? We've already heard from Paul in the, some of the messages we've talked about that he says we are heirs of the Lord, heirs of the King of Kings and co-heirs with Christ. In other words, our citizenship is not down here in this earthly Jerusalem. It's in the heavenly Jerusalem. We are connected to heaven. That is where our citizenship comes from. That is what we are heirs of. And she is our mother, speaking of Sarah. So if Hagar represents all these things, old covenant, uh, the law, slavery, uh, being the father of the Arabs, earthly Jerusalem, then Sarah, our mother, represents new covenant, grace, freedom, that anyone can be in Christ. We're connected to the citizenship of heaven, heirs of God. Now, again, Paul's going to use another story. I love this. But he's going to use another part of their history and another story to help us understand a little deeper uh, about the kind of Lord that we serve. Verse 27, it says, For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now, this text is originally it comes from Isaiah 54. And what Paul's trying to do here is, if you know the context of Isaiah 54, this is where the Lord is encouraging the people of, of Israel who've been exiled into Babylon, okay? So there, here, these, this group of people are in Babylon. They have no hope. They have no hope of a future. They are, they, they are desolate. They are, they are saddened. They're depressed. They feel like they've reached the end of their rope. And so God encourages them to remember the story of Abraham and Sarah. That just like them, Abraham and Sarah said, we're done. We won't have an heir. We're too old. We're barren. We're broken. This doesn't work anymore. Paul's saying, remember, this is what God encouraged the exiles to remember, that even in your barrenness, even in your brokenness, you can rejoice. Now, I've told this story many times, but, you know, my wife and I struggled with infertility for 12 years. Can I tell you, in those 12 years, um, I think we were processing all that, okay, but I don't think you would have characterized 
that difficulty and that struggle with rejoice. They were really, man, those guys were really rejoicing through this. It was hard. It was a difficult time. There was a lot of brokenness in our soul. And the reality is, in this room, in this moment, there's probably a lot of brokenness in a lot of souls. There's probably a lot of hurt, a lot of wounds, a lot of questions, a lot of doubts, a lot of fears, a lot of struggles. I know it's taking place because it's taking place in me. And I know it's taking place in you. And God's encouragement to us this morning is that even if you're barren, even if you're struggling, even if you doubt, even if you fear, even if you don't know what the future looks like, it's uncertain. Financially, relationally, spiritually, wherever you sit today, whatever's going on in your soul, God wants you to be able to rejoice. Why? God, we've been barren for 12 years. How do I rejoice? How do I break forth? How do I cry aloud? Because this is not my story. It's God's story. And if we come to a place where we trust the God of the promise, we can step back from our view, from what we see, from the very immediate confines of our lives and go, God, this sucks right here. I don't understand what's going on in my life right here, but I'm gonna step out of that. I'm gonna lift my eyes to the hills, as Daryl said this morning from Psalm 121, and think about where my help comes from, because I don't see it right now. But Isaiah says to the people in exile, rejoice. Not from what you see, but from what you believe. Some of us this morning need to lift our hearts and our eyes out of what we see and out of the immediate and out of what we're consumed with that surrounds every part of who we are and we need to believe the God of the promise. What has God promised to you? What are some of the promises that God has made to you that he's spoken to your heart through his word that we can count on? Because some of you need to remember those things. In the middle of our brokenness. Yeah, this phrase says, I want to read it again. It says, rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud. Break forth. I was thinking about this morning. From what? Break. Let me just tell you, when you're facing something, you're walking through an illness, a difficulty, a bankruptcy, a divorce, whatever, uh, whatever has gone on in your soul, in your life. There, sometimes there can be like this bubble, right? This bubble of shame. This bubble of fear, this bubble that I don't know what's going to happen, I feel desolate, I feel barren, I feel broken. God's saying, break forth. <laughs> Rejoice and break forth and cry aloud. Not on what you see, not on what you've experienced, but what God said he'll do. Right? We don't rejoice over what we can do because there's nothing much to see here. The brokenness and sinfulness and questions and doubt. And so we pull out and we break forth of this bubble and we say, oh God, but you've made a promise. And I'm not talking about next week I'll have a paycheck and I'm going to be driving. No, no, don't hear me saying that. God uses brokenness. God uses difficulty. God uses barrenness in our souls to remind us that he is the God of the promise. Right? So don't, don't despise the desert seasons don't despise the brokenness. Don't despise the wayward children. 
know that God is using everything in our lives to remind us that he is the God of the promise and he can be trusted and we worship him out of the middle of it. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions this morning. What are you in the middle of right now that's breaking your heart and your spirit? There's some things going on in your life that are breaking your heart and your spirit that you don't see could ever happen. Well, that, that'll never happen. <laughs> this thing will never happen. Abraham and Sarah, <laughs> the little boy was not on the list of possibilities. And yet God had made a promise. Or what promise of God in his word do you know that you can cling on to this morning? Rejoice with this morning in spite of what you see. Because the thing that Paul's trying to share with the Galatians here is that God's promise is always better than our performance. It's always better than what we can bring. And Abraham and Sarah got it all wrong. So he's saying, listen, quit being Hagar and start being Sarah. Right? Quit being the one who is connected to slavery and performance and punishment and be connected to the one who is connected with grace and freedom and salvation because what he has promised will come to pass. All right, then, then Paul's going to take the uh, history and then he's going to tell the story and now he's going to bring it down to present reality, not only for the Galatians, but hopefully for us today, right? In other words, look at even in his language here in verse 28. Paul says, now you, brothers. So here's another language of affection. These are my brothers. But now you, now you, what, what do you believe, right? After I've given you the history element and I've told sort of the allegorical story to show you these two women and where we need to be, where are you? Like now, right now, where are you? Where do you believe? What family are you a part of? He says, now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at the time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So also it is now. In other words, this is happening now. You're experiencing it in Galatia. But what does the scripture say? He goes back to a Genesis passage. Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. I am a baby brother of four kids. And that just means I got beat up a lot and picked on a lot, right? There's even the silly story of a California trip and they, they just drugged me with Dramamine so I'd shut up the whole time. It's a true story. Just, it was hard, hard living, hard growing up. Um, older brothers pick on little brothers, right? It's part of the deal. But the reality is, evidently Ishmael was a little bit more <laughs> provoking than some of us have been to our brothers and sisters. He was 14 years older and he continued to provoke Isaac. He continued to mess with Isaac. See, the sad thing about this story is that when you read this story in Genesis, you're going to experience Hagar and Ishmael as the victims. And they are. And it's confusing because Sarah is the conspirator. And Abraham and Sarah are the co-conspirators. And yet Paul sort of shining them in a model light instead of the reality that they were. And I think it's one of the reasons he says, hey, this is allegorical. <laughs> there's a meaning here. And there's also an aspect of, of understanding that this is God's sovereignty and that this is how he has laid out this plan and the story of this family. And we can learn from it. 
But Paul says, for you, brothers, right now, where are you? Because the Judaizers are still like that provoking older brother. They're still messing with you. And by the way, people of law, people of rules will always provoke a people of grace. They'll always beat them up. Who are the people that beat up uh, Paul at Lystra and Iconium, left him for dead? Who were those people? Were they religious people? Yeah. Who were the people that, that, that said, crucify him, his blood be on us and on our children? Religious people. Who were the ones that rushed at, at Stephen with stones in their hands and, and, and killed him themselves? Religious people. And religious people will always beat up a people of grace. Because it doesn't seem fair. Jesus tells a story in Luke 15 of the, of the prodigal sons. One who ran away and did dastardly things, awful things. But in God's grace, he, he comes back and realizes where his help comes from. But his older brother, remember his older brother? The law keeper, the rule abider, the one who was always doing the right thing. He wasn't very happy about the grace given to the younger brother. And so he's wanting to beat up the younger brother. He's wanting to beat up the father's grace. And this is what Paul is saying to the Galatians. He's saying grace and law cannot coexist. You got to choose one or the other. You got to choose the family that you're going to be connected to. And so he says, uh, cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Now, what's interesting is that the Judaizers had used this very verse against the Gentiles. They had tried to say to the Gentiles, hey, that's you guys. That's you guys. You're, you're, you're the slave woman. And Paul's son, you're the slave woman's children. Paul's going, no, 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 you got it backwards. Because you try to fall under the law, because you try to live under the law, you're cursed, you're imprisoned, you're in slavery. Therefore, you are the sons of Ishmael. And those who have true faith, they are the sons of Isaac. They are the sons of Abraham and the sons of promise. So cast them out. Get rid of these guys in, in the church that are doing this stuff, that are changing this gospel, that are tweaking all this and making you doubt and fear and try and earn your salvation. And so in the last verse in our text this morning, Paul encourages them to choose freedom. Look, look with this verse. I, I just feel like I could hear Paul's voice even change in tone. Verse 31, Paul says, so brothers, right? This, again, an affectionate term and a sense of finality. So where are you at? We've made these arguments. What are you going to do? What's the decision? Who are you going to be? What family are you going to live under? A family of law or a family of freedom? You're going to follow under Ishmael. You're going to follow under Hagar. Are you going to be under this family of freedom, this family of grace and peace and salvation in Jesus? What are you going to do? Because if you're in a family of freedom, it's not about trusting what you can do, but it's about resting in what Jesus has already done. It's not about running ahead of God's plan, but resting in his grace and his provision for you, living from that grace. See, when we refuse to wait on God's plan, when we refuse to, to be who God wants us to be, we, we refuse to rest in his finished work. We end up seeking to be our own saviors, fulfill our own plans, live our own dreams, and trust me, just like Abraham and, and uh, Sarah, 
the result can be disastrous. It can be a problem. Everything falls apart. And sadly, some of the most religious people you know are the farthest from freedom. They want to keep all the rules. They want to make sure they're performing well, and yet they're the farthest from a free life in Christ. This is one of the most interesting things about this story. Abraham is the father of these two boys. Ishmael is a result of sinfulness, a result of conniving, a result of taking matters into his own hands. And yet even Abraham grows in grace. Even Abraham comes to understand a little bit more about the Lord. And he's also the father of Isaac, the father of this child of promise. So 4,000 years later, the Arabs still fighting the Jews today in Gaza, the West Bank. Family still fighting. But Abraham grew. Abraham went from self-sufficiency to God-dependency. And that's exactly what Paul wants for the Galatians. Quit trying to do it on your own. Quit trying to think you're going to hold up this standard and then that's where you're going to grow from. No, you're going to grow from God's grace. And out of that grace, you're going to be able to do unbelievable things. But it's not self-sufficiency, it's God-dependency. And that's what he would say to us this morning. What are you trying to live in on your own? What are you trying to make happen out of your strength, out of your power, out of your plan instead of going, God, I need to depend on you. I need to rest in the grace that you've given me. Keller, I just, he tells the story, he says, um, just imagine with me for a moment, God looks down on this planet and he sees two women. He sees one that is beautiful and fertile, Right? He sees another one that is old, barren, (laughs) depressed, conniving. And and can I just tell you something about an older woman who can't conceive in the ancient world is an outcast. She's marginalized. She's talked about. She's whispered about. It's a bad situation. And just think, Sarah's lived with this for 80 years. The heartache, the brokenness. And yet God chooses not the beautiful and fertile, but the broken and the depressed and the lonely and the hurting and the one that says, it's impossible, God. That's what God chooses to tell his story through. And down her line comes another young woman who was also barren. Barren because she was a virgin. Her name was Mary. And she'll have Jesus And Jesus will be the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham and Sarah. Isn't that incredible? Our God is such an amazing storyteller. But we don't want to just hear the history and we don't want to just hear a story. We want to be able to take our own present reality and say, God, what are some ways that I'm doing things on my own? What are some things that I feel like I'm barren and I'm broken and I'm I'm in need and I don't see where you're at, but I can pull back And I can rejoice, not in what I see, but what I hope for. And I can break forth and I can cry aloud and not in what I know is going to happen, but what I hope in through you. And even if it doesn't happen, you're good and you're loving and you're kind and you're going to give me what you want to give me because it's your story and not mine. 
And so I surrender, Lord, to you. This text speaks of outcasts, down and out, hopeless, marginalized people. And we understand that it's not something that we can do. That by God's grace alone are we saved and sanctified. I want to close this morning with a verse of scripture. Paul is using this story again as he's teaching the Romans. Uh, Romans 4, verse 18, starting with verse 18. I just want to read this over us. He says, in hope he believed, speaking of Abraham. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver, uh, unbelief, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully con- uh, convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteous. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, praise God, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Thank God that he is a God of promise. Even when we don't see it, We believe, we have faith, and by his grace and in Christ alone, we are made free. What do you choose this morning? Because no matter who you've been or where you've been or what you've done, God loves you. God wants to bless your life. And the only way that can happen is is through a life of Jesus, through a life in Christ knowing him, serving him, loving him. Outside of that is taking matters in your own hands and it'll be a mess, I promise you. So today we surrender, God, I give you my life. I want your design, I want your plan, your will, not mine. Do in me what only you can do. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Lord, thank you that even though every one of us in here has, has rushed ahead of your plan, rushed ahead of your will, making, we've made so many mistakes, God, we've, we've, we've left you. We dream of so many things, Lord, other than following and serving you. God, would you forgive us? God, would you remind us of this promise? Would you remind us of this family that we choose to serve you under, to be under Abraham, under Sarah, under Isaac, God, to know you and love you in such a way that we depend upon your grace and your promise and your provision and your forgiveness, Lord, to live in freedom, not in slavery. And Lord, help us to understand this is not just about a church service. This is not just about some religion. It's not just about some guy speaking up front. Lord, this is about the very stuff of our lives about our joy, about our brokenness and how you want to break through the rough and tough exterior, Lord, that we've all placed ourselves under. 
God, would you please do a work in us miraculously? Would you help us to step back, to rejoice not out of what we see, but what we hope in, what we believe in you? To cry aloud, God, not from our experience, but because of our faith. And Jesus, would you help us? Would you help us, Lord, to be a people of promise? Would you help us to raise our kids in an environment of grace, not of law? To be forgiving and loving and kind. Lord, to be a church of grace, not a church of law. To be forgiving and loving and kind. Accepting, caring, supporting. Truth speaking. God, I pray that this morning, if there's anybody in here that's wandering from you. Maybe they don't even know you as their Savior. Maybe they they followed a different religion, Lord. Lord, your word says, Jesus said it himself, no one comes to the Father apart from me. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody in this room today that doesn't know you as Savior, that in this time, God, that they would come through you, Jesus. They would seek your forgiveness. They would believe in your sacrifice and that you would change their heart and souls forever, God. Would you do it today by the grace that you have given us through Jesus and the power of your spirit, oh God. And Lord, if any believer in this place is in a a situation, Lord, where they've just relaxed in their own plan, they've stepped back and doing their own thing, God, may we humble ourselves. May we cry out to you, God, in mercy. Please, God, forgive us. Please help us to follow you and your design. God, help us to be honest about who we are and who you want us to be right now as we sing, right now as we worship, right now as we pray. This altar is open for anyone who would come, Lord. We we would love to speak with anybody who has a need. Lord, have your way in us today, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Would you stand?